just shot of the line. The Tackling Scottish Rugby Podcast with Stuart McFarlane and Dale Clancy. That's extraordinary. Welcome to the first edition of the Tackling Scottish Rugby Podcast. I'm Stuart McFarlane. And I'm Dale Clancy. And each week we will bring you a comprehensive look at what is happening all across the Scottish game from grassroots to international. The Tackling Scottish Rugby Podcast. Well, Dale, it's good to catch up with you. Yeah, it's been quite a crazy time. I think the rugby's been a big miss, but it's it's nice to be back and getting a little bit rugby in our lives again, even if it is more at the professional and international level. I think, you know, it was such an abrupt end to the season when, it, when everything sort of ground to halt in the middle of March to then find us four or five months down the line looking at the professional game and the return of Edinburgh playing Glasgow and into an empty Murrayfield. Now, we're going to hear from Gregor Townsend. We have an in-depth interview with the, the Scotland head coach coming up. It was interesting talking to Gregor. Now, this was just prior to the Georgia game about his own experiences during lockdown and how he was interacting with players and how much he enjoyed returning to the, the training field in the days leading up to that international in a lot of sports I think there's always a focus on what has been done to support the players and when you listen to various sports channels or sports news it's all about how the players been supported and what was their routine but as Gregor Townsend as a head coach it's it's interesting to get his outlook on what was done to support him in the network round about him so it was it was really interesting but you'll be in the same scenario like at your work you know it's it's been challenging and you need people round about you you need a, a good level of personnel a good level of you know, just a bit of well-being. And it's the same in no matter what, like if it's rugby, if it's uh, your vocation, my vocation. It was interesting speaking to him and it was a good start, I think, a high-profile guest for our first podcast. I'm just waiting to hear you talking about Clancy cuisine or Clancy's cakes or something like that, that you've used the period of lockdown to come up with, you know, some culinary delights to, to share, you know, as, as a, a new sideline away from your expertise. No, I, well, I do know that they sell Clancy's nuts in one of the supermarkets, but I don't think they've, they're, they're not linked to me or my family, like not to me directly, but to my family at all. So um, no, we just... Um, relatively quiet just tidying bits up around the house I've not really I've not learnt a guitar I've not learnt French I've, I've not done anything too exciting So you've not learnt French? nah oui très bien I know a few bits I know j'habite dans une poubelle which I think it means I live in a bin and that's about that's how I failed my, my French hire so did you learn anything? did you pick up any new skills? I discovered uh, a lot of uh, bits and pieces around the flat that I hadn't unearthed in about two or three years so maybe I do live in a bin <laughs> uh, I, I certainly live in a tip it's uh, required some uh, serious TLC right enough it's interesting how people have spent their time how do you fill the void as a, a supporter or a player when a routine that you have every week is suddenly evaporates just disappears you're not going down and meeting your pals in a bar by the, the club rooms to then go and watch a game and have a drink afterwards or you're not if you're a grassroots player meeting up twice a week for training and then going on a coach and a, and a lady somewhere to play a, a fixture maybe two or three hours a week just that social circle from five-year-olds playing minis up to the sponsors and the 80-year-old ex-players who catch up with their friends for a drink and watch a local derby or support their club or go to a race night it's been a big miss and you know I hope it comes back in that fashion sooner rather than later but there's no knowing but it's, it's certainly just been a, a a challenging time and it does highlight a few things and the way that clubs are and how important they are in people's lives has been one of those things that has certainly it's shown up 
Well, we've had the, the return of the professional game, as you say, for a couple of months now. Let's have a look at some of the, the stories that have been making the news during the last few days. And from a Scottish point of view, Dale, another excellent week for the, the Scottish contingent down at Exeter. Yeah, I've listened to other podcasts and a lot of the time Stuart Hogg is quite evident in them all. And I think he's really matured as a rugby player and as a leader. And it's amazing listening to him and, and the success that he's then found going away from Glasgow might contradict some things that maybe a national coach might say and saying that you might find out a bit later but it's um, it's certainly it's raised the profile of Scottish players I believe I think with him and Finn Russell obviously he was on the losing side in the, the Heineken Cup final a couple of weeks ago I think the likes of Johnny Gray is going to better himself it didn't work out for Richie when he left but I think Johnny Gray is going to improve and Sam Hidalgo Klein certainly getting a crack of the whip as well now and, and embedded in a championship successful squad so it's good for the Scottish players and it breeds success and hopefully it, it can rub off on the, not just the national team but hopefully the other professional teams as well Well you talk about Sam Hidalgo Klein I mean a year ago he was barely able to get into the 23 at Scarlets and now he's you know, a, a winner at European and at uh, Premiership level so it's been a, a, an extraordinary 12 months for him and for that group of players so surely it bodes well for the, the international side. Now some sad news coming out in the last few days as well about an absolute legend of the game in, in Scotland Roy Laidlaw of course very much part of the Scottish Grand Slam winning side of 1984 coming out and publicly talking about his battle with dementia I think you'll join me Stuart in saying that our thoughts go out to him and his family he's certainly going to be surrounded by a good rugby family you look at Dodie Weir and it's exactly the same when, when the going gets tough I think everybody kind of mucks in and, and helps support each other in these sort of times so hopefully he gets the same treatment and I'm, I'm sure he will I think there is an exceptional bond in the sport when you look at the response particularly from the international players that he played with and you know he's cited himself two or three uh, ex-players that have been long time friends of his that have been extremely supportive and uh, Dale you're probably not old enough to remember Roy Laidlaw certainly playing in his pomp when you think back you know he was part of a, a Jed Forest squad that won the, the Melrose Sevens in 1974 to then go to Twickenham nine years later and score that famous try from a scrum that was a classic sort the Laidlaw try at Twickenham but I personally had some experiences with Roy back in the late 90s when he worked with SRU I would actually car share with him and there was myself Peter Gallagher who at the time was overseeing the, the Scotland 7 squad and Roy himself and he had a, a job with the SRU and we would meet at Carfrey Mill on a Monday then meet them at Murrayfield to come back down on the, the Friday and I just don't know how many times I had to reboot Roy's Laptop, either on the way up on the Monday or the way back down. He wasn't a great fan of modern technology back in those days, but I mean, such a humble guy, such a, a pleasant, mild mannered man, and to, to look at his achievements on the field and indeed off going with the Scotland side to the Commonwealth Games in 2002 a real inspiration so I think as you said yourself earlier on we, we wish him all the best in what is a, obviously a, a difficult time for him just now difficult time as well for Edinburgh six consecutive defeats and Glasgow they of course slumped to a defeat to Ospreys so not a great weekend for the two professional sides and, and Edinburgh perhaps Dale more so than Glasgow missing 17 players at the moment so really having to scratch around for a, a quality group of players in the squad it means it's a great time for them to, to blood some young players 
going forward. You look at other sports and, and players are dropping in and out and having to isolate for certain periods of time. And I think it's it's a little bit different. I think we've not obviously had those issues, but in terms of personnel, we don't have the depth in rugby. And, and I think negatively, it's not going well. They've lost a lot of players and the results are certainly not good. But from a positive side of things, there's there's players like Connor Boyle getting a chance. Nathan Chamberlain, I watched him for Scotland in their 20s and I was really impressed with him. He's getting a chance as well. So it might not be good, but I think these players need this early immersion into the game, into the professional game. The only negative is they probably don't have the old heads to help nurture them through. I think in hindsight, I think if John Barclay had even just stayed for a year, he might have really helped the younger players come through and establish themselves. But that's just one example. It's not going well results-wise, but it's, it's difficult for Scotland. We've got such a small pool of players. It's not really a pool, it's a puddle of players. We've got a tiny little aquatic selection of uh, players to pick from and it's difficult for Edinburgh and Glasgow to be consistent, especially when Glasgow raised the bar. But when these sort of things come through, we need these players to step up and, and start picking up results. But this will be good for them, I would think. I don't know what your take is, is in terms of where you think Edinburgh are, but um, they've certainly improved under Cotroll and I think this highlights the depth more than anything else. I think you're right. I think it's the, the longer term picture, the bigger picture now when finances are so tight and they, they call upon players like you mentioned Nathan Chamberlain, who sort of featured on the bench on a couple of occasions towards the end of, of last season, which still seems bizarre to think that was August into September time when the season drew to a close. But to give somebody like that, who was very good all across the under-20s championship earlier in the year, the chance to play Pro 14 consistently is only going to benefit and better his game. And players like Charlie Shield and that as well, to come in to get a, a good run, to have a partnership building up with somebody like Chamberlain will hopefully benefit both their games and then give Edinburgh options going forward as well. And similarly, Glasgow, it's a new project. The Dave Rennie era is over. You've got Danny Wilson coming in, looking to stamp his own authority on, on the game at a difficult time when you've got this now bloated international programme compared to how it was originally going to be. You know, you've six international games in seven weeks. So you, you do have some sympathy for club professional coaches who have relatively small pools of players to choose from. The only thing you can probably take solace from is the fact that the national team we're going to get lots of games of rugby and a lot of players are going to get game time. So when they do go back to their clubs, hopefully they're fresh and they can then kick on and you know get some better results on. And finally, Dale, let's take a look then at the matches played over the weekend, international fixtures. Scotland's women battling to a, a very spirited draw with France at Scotston. And Scotland's men just simply too strong for a, a Georgian side at Murrayfield, scoring eight tries in all. Were you surprised at just how straightforward a, a match it was in the end for, for Gregor Townsend's side? I thought when Darcy Graham scored his try after a couple of minutes, I thought it was it brought me flashbacks of when people's Colts used to play Hoyt Wanderers or Hoyt YM and I thought it was going to be an 80-pointer and I wasn't on the, I was the Georgian team. So I kind of thought it was going to be a little bit more plain sailing, but it, it did take them a while to settle into the game. It was I don't think it was the worst thing to score early, but it did take them a while to get the structure and get into the rhythm of it. There was a lot of unforced errors, but I thought generally the way that they approached the game was good. Their defence was really strong. I thought that was a, a good thing, especially going into what's going to be a physical battle against Wales. To eventually go away with the game the way that they did after conceding after the second half I thought was impressive as well because Scotland teams in the past how many times have we given a, a team a sniff and they've taken it and they've, they've came back into the game so I think to kill that shows where we are as a nation now and I think there's a level of expectation it certainly showed in the second half when we did pull away and, and again not to drum too much on it because it's kind of done and dusted but the inclusion of Finn Russell showed you what he brings to a team he just sparks he just brings that little bit more go forward 
that flat pass, you know, just picking holes and putting players through them and just that little bit of imagination. I think Adam Hastings had a good Six Nations and the pressure, I think it'll bring the best out of both of them and they keep talking about trying to play both of them in the same team. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's a good place to start from. First national game back for a few months and going into the last game of the Six Nations and then the Nations Cup. Certainly a good place to start from and a really positive one. And Scotland's women, very briefly, at Scotston, all credit to them as well because, you know, conceding early, coming back to trail 8-3 at the interval, it was looking like one of those battling's performances where they may just fall short and then a powerful mall leading to a try right at the end of the game, securing a draw. And how about this, Dale, that the previous nine matches between Scotland's women and France, the aggregate score, Scotland 16, France 409. So really illustrates the work of Doyle before he retired Philip Doyle and obviously Brian Eason taking on the, the work since Doyle's retirement through ill health so all credit to the coaching staff but particularly the women as well because they're looking to make some great strides during the coming few years as they develop their own game I think it's, it's important for Scottish rugby that the women team also improve along with the age grade teams and the, the men's national team because it's going to make rugby more attractive for youngsters and make it more attractive for everybody to go and watch and see and I think that the skill set of the women's game has improved wholesale over the last wee while the last decade and I think the coverage it gets is only going to make it even better the TV coverage getting it on likes of Sky in England women get all the, the games on Sky so getting that sort of exposure is going to be pumped back into the game and get good coaches good resources and improve them and I think that's a huge result for, for that aggregate score to only have scored 16 points was it over the last nine years is amazing to then score 13 in one game and get a draw out of it and I think that you know you wouldn't often praise a draw in rugby or be chuffed with it but I think in the context of what that aggregate score is you certainly that is a, a big step forward for, for the Scottish women One of our future podcasts will look exclusively at the women's game and the development of the, the women's game and it will be good to hear from the likes of Brian Eason get his thoughts as he takes charge of the team well, Dale, I think it's about time we heard from this week's guest. Tackling Scottish Rugby. What a guest to start off our very first edition of Tackling Scottish Rugby. To have with us the main man, the head coach of the, the Scottish national team, Gregor Townsend. Gregor, thank you very much for joining us. It's a pleasure. We were talking just a, a few moments ago about platforms that allow you, obviously, to interact with people who are all over the world who are at home, who are confined to home because of COVID-19. Was that something that you would regularly do and would regularly use these platforms before 2020? Or is it something that you've had to sort of fast track into your work? Yeah, it de- definitely has changed the way we've been able to operate. I remember we, uh, we did a press conference on conference call from a Spanish airport two days before we played against Ireland because we'd been out in Spain in a, in a training camp and it wasn't a Zoom, it was um, just on a uh, telephone call and it never fa- never went down that well, I think, with either um, the media or ourselves. And fast forward a few weeks and every press conference, every meeting, every interaction with uh, your colleagues or your staff are done by telephone conference or um, obviously video conference. So it's it's got its benefits. We've been able to connect with players during lockdown, been able to connect with coaches and people involved in sport and throughout the world during that period. But also has its downside. Not, nothing beats uh, being in a room and, and chatting to people. Uh, but we certainly made the, made the most of it and we learned a lot during that lockdown period. Do you feel there's a lot of positives to take from it? And, and- 
in terms of that as well, did you get a lot of support from Scottish rugby? And in turn, did you did you feel that you were using these platforms to support a lot of other players as well during this? You know, the, especially the first phase, which was quite a difficult time. Yes, uh, we we. Our, our first aim was to, to make sure we connected better with, with our players. We, we took it in turn to, to make sure that players were getting regular phone calls. Sometimes that might have been just to drop a message, sometimes a video call or, or a phone call. And we, we started to, to learn more about where players were at, if some were, some were happy because they had family lives and there were or other things in their life that they were using this as an opportunity to, to get away from rugby and, and do other things. There were others that maybe lacked a bit of structure and could do with a, a regular catch-up. So that, that was important. Even amongst us as staff, um, catching up regularly was important for our own um, well-being to make sure that we were still connected. So that happened. And then the, the most positive aspect was what we've been able to learn. There was our analyst, actually, Gavin Vaughan, um, who came up with a phrase called Takeaway Tuesdays after about two or three weeks of lockdown. And I said, how about we, um, we pull together our contacts and come up with someone, a guest speaker, that we can interview on a Tuesday? So I, I don't know whether we all tried to outdo each other, but, but Takeaway Tuesdays certainly um, evolved to almost every day of the week that we were trying our luck to bring in a, a coach from a different sport or someone involved in high performance. And we were so fortunate with the people that we got on those calls. We ended up having breakout groups that were focusing on, on well-being and, and specific to that area of performance. But no, that, it was a positive time, certainly for me and my, and my role as head coach, to get that learning um, away from rugby to have more time with the family. It was a positive too. But as lockdown in the summer dragged on, I think we were all very keen to get back and, and do what we love, which is working with our players and, and coaching again. Looking back to earlier in the year, of course, the, the Scotland team did make it down to, to Cardiff and were within 24 hours of playing the game before it was postponed. So that would have seen the 2020 Six Nations campaign for Scotland concluded at that stage. But how soon after that match, the postponement of that match, was it when you suddenly realised the summer tour to South Africa and New Zealand is now in jeopardy? It was, pro- it was probably a few weeks I think it, initially we were so disappointed not to have got that last game away because we came very close. We were on the bus to the Principality Stadium for our, our team run on the Friday afternoon. And although there'd been rumours and speculation that the, the game would be called off, it was certainly left to the to 24 hours before it finally got, did get called off. So we, we were frustrated we couldn't finish our, our tournament. Then as the weeks went on, we thought we're very lucky to have managed to play in Italy and France. I think Italy went to lockdown two or three days after we, we, we played that game in Rome. And then the, the home game against France, which was a, a great occasion. Um, we're so glad that we did manage to play that game too. We, we felt that there would still be a chance the summer two would go on, but I think New Zealand was always going to be a doubt of all the countries in the world. They were probably the first to close up the borders. We still felt South Africa would either be a, an option in July on the original date or pushed back, which was discussed for a few weeks. But obviously neither happened. And while it was disappointing, we can understand why that was the case. And we now have six test matches in seven weeks, which is something you only get really in a, in a World Cup year. It's interesting you mentioned that the number of matches and, and the turnaround time is it's quite a short period. But you, you also look at the last seven months and I guess high-performance players have this enforced rest placed upon them that, that's you know almost alien to them. But from a, a professional rugby player's point of view, has that perhaps 
going to benefit them in the, in the short, medium and potentially in the long term that they've had this enforced rest given the, the physical nature of the game? It'll do depend on the individual. I think case by case um, for for some players it's it's been of benefit to get away from the stresses of, of playing the game and those could be physical or mental to see your family or do other things that you would never have had the opportunity because a rugby season is, is very long. But from others, I'd imagine that they've been disappointed and frustrated that they've not been doing the thing they, they love. Maybe for a younger generation of player, they're missing out on playing the game. So it, it depends. I would say, speaking on behalf of our squad, I'd say the majority of our players, it has been a positive that they've, they've managed to um, come out of this and with a love for the game um, and really good physical shape and now are, are playing really good rugby. Like We, we had a lot of difficult selections and uh, difficult choices to make in, in terms of our selection because so many of our players were, were back in very good form. And from that selection, you've obviously 40 players in the pool at the moment. Can you see that perhaps becoming something more of the norm going forward that you need for various reasons to have a, a slightly larger pool of players to, to pick from? Well, I hope it's not the norm for too long. We we, we had a bigger squad for a, for a couple of reasons. The first one being that we have three players uh, at Exeter that will miss our game against Georgia because they play the English Premiership final that day uh, with a couple of injury concerns going into our first week of training. So that, that made the, the squad bigger. But there's also in the back of our mind the contingency planning that if we do pick up a positive case or positive cases and it affects more than one or two players in our squad, it would be beneficial to have had the replacements amongst our environment and ready to play if called on at last minute. So it's a reason why we've got three front rows and three hookers, three scrum halves and positions that are very specialised that if someone did drop out, it's great to have someone ready to go and someone that's been training with us. I think the good thing looking at the squad now from a supporter side of things and I think a lot of people have said it. Now, 40 players in that squad, obviously there's some players who will join the camp a little bit later on for, for club duties. You've actually got 40 players, which you could pretty much, be, they could all be starters just about. It's a really competitive squad. And along with that, you've got the introduction of uh, Kebel and Van der Merwe coming in as well, who add real competition. What, what does that do now for Scottish rugby in terms of where we were before COVID to now with the big squad and obviously looking forward towards completing the Six Nations? Well, on paper, it, it feels that we've got more depth. Um, and depth on paper is, is one thing. Players going out and grabbing their opportunities uh, really puts the substance to the depth. So we, we would have been going into the Six Nations uh, around the loose head position, for example, seven, eight months ago, with question marks around the depth. Uh, Rory Sutherland, I think, had played 14 minutes for Edinburgh Pro 14. Jamie Batty hadn't played much rugby either. Uh, Alan Dell wasn't getting... Um, that many stars down at London Irish and then leaving the Six Nations Royce Island was one of the best players in the tournament after those four games we know Jamie Batty um, is playing at a high level uh, Alan Dell's played a lot of rugby for us in the past and now we've got Ollie Kebble who, who's available for us and has been playing some excellent rugby for Glasgow these past couple of years so really depth is about how well the players go out and play uh, and we've been delighted with what had gone on the Six Nations and a number of our positions and what players have done during this period. And I'd say also in, in terms of the players that are playing in England, because in, the English clubs had, I think it was nine or ten games that they had to complete, they used their squads a lot more, the depth of their squad. And some Scottish qualified players 
that were playing down in England who maybe didn't uh, get as many starts in the past. We're starting to see them grab opportunities and add to the, the players we're looking at that could play international rugby. Yeah, I think Exeter almost fielded what uh, some considered a third string in one of their last matches in the uh, regulation season recently. But going back to Exeter and uh, I suppose as well, Racing, you've, you've a huge interest there in, in this European Cup final coming up because you've obviously Scottish interest in, in both teams. That, from an international coach's point of view, must be hugely pleasing to, to see players at club level now reaching that level because of what they then can potentially bring to the squad when they do join. Absolutely. And uh, the players are key players for the teams as well. So they're not playing peripheral roles for, for Exeter and, um, and Racing. Obviously, Finn is a key player for Racing and uh, and the semi-final against Saracens uh, was his play in terms of a, a kick over the defence and then his support play to, to give the try-scoring pass that, that made the difference um, for his team making into the, the European final and the likes of Stuart Hogg, Johnny Gray um, who've been playing outstandingly well for, for Exeter they've got to their first ever European final and with, with Sam Skinner also an influential player down there he played open side and the semi-final against Toulouse. He's often been coming off the bench to call the lineouts. It has been really pleasing. And that will help our squad in two reasons mainly. The first one is confidence. You're, you're winning games, you're playing well, you're playing in, in big games. But also there's tactical and technical learning that these players can pass on to the rest of the group and, and to us as coaches. Uh, if you're making European finals, it's because you're doing parts of your game and a lot of your game better than the opposition. So we want to learn from that and see if we can build that into our own game. Do you think that as well? Finn Russell and Stuart Hogg playing pivotal roles for their teams. Do you think that Scotland now have the breed of player which are taken a little bit more seriously now? I think Scotland have always played a little bit of catch-up with the professional leader and it was probably the likes of yourself, Doddy Weir, Gary Armstrong, that were the real first professionals that were that, that maybe played for some high-end clubs. Do you feel that they're now helping the rest of the squad, maybe the, the kind of calibre of player that Scotland get looked upon, it, it's improving because they're going away, maybe pushing their game to another level after leaving Glasgow? Well, it's, hard, it's hard to say what, what the perception is um, outside of, of our own thoughts or, or Scotland. I would say Johnny and, and Stuart and, and Finn in, in particular played very well for for Glasgow when they were there, helped Glasgow obviously win uh, with the Pro 14 a few years ago and, and had some, some very good victories that they were a key part of. So I think they've always been appreciated by us as coaches and, and people in Scotland and maybe it's a, it's a new audience that are, are seeing them. But for, for me, I, you don't necessarily have to, to leave Scotland to get that recognition and, and sometimes that recognition is, isn't important. It's, it's what you can do to, to reach your potential. It's been been fantastic to see how they've adapted to new environments but equally um, players that are playing well in Scotland um, they can help their teams get to semi-finals and finals of whether it's a Pro 14 or, or the Champions Cup And of course it's a very interesting time as well for Edinburgh and Glasgow Glasgow obviously had on at the weekend just past there the, the, the first opportunity for Danny Wilson to watch them at Scotston of course in, in front of, of no spectators which was clearly disappointing for everybody as it has been and Richard Cockrell on the back of a, a disappointing end to the, the campaign, the, the 2020 campaign going into a new season with sort of renewed optimism and a determination to 
take that next step. So both clubs are in a, an interesting position in terms of their evolution just now. Yes, and it's obviously a very interesting period of of the season or of any season on how to deal with a season ending, which Edinburgh were in two knockout competitions from the previous season, semi-final of Pro 14 and quarter-final of the Challenge Cup to starting the next season two weeks later in amongst the, the obviously various challenges you have with um, with coronavirus and, and what that means with your training week. So it is different. It's something that we have to adapt to and overcome both from the national team and the two professional teams. And as long, as long as you see the players improving, as long as you see them getting as close to the potential, which I think their, their potential can make, make them achieve special things at club level and international level, that's, that's what you want from a, a playing group. You must be extremely sympathetic towards all rugby club coaches at the moment because the the whole COVID veil can throw your club into almost turmoil or chaos very, very quickly. If there's an outbreak of, of COVID, it could lead to a postponement within uh, you know your, your league or a, a cup fixture, for instance. So I'd guess that from the outside looking in as an international coach who has had club experience, you must be you know very sympathetic towards the plight of all club coaches right now. Uh, absolutely. And you, you've got it from club coaches at amateur level that um, had plans for for a season, um, whether that's clubs in the, in the borders like Ala, Melrose, Hoik and, and Jed um, to Super 6, all your plans have just been put on hold. And then there's the, the professional clubs that uh, we've now had a similar experience this week that you're changing your training until you get the test results in and then you can breathe a, a small sigh of relief and, and go on with the rest of your week. Um, but in the knowledge that there could be still someone that picks up COVID for a different reason later on in the week. And we've seen it with Wasps this week. I think seven of the staff um, sailed at 27 or 29 maybe in the end that, that, that were tested positive. And clubs in France, football clubs and football teams around the world are, are picking it up now. So it is just another thing that you have to be focused on or uh, make sure you're on top of as you prepare a team for the weekend. But that first meeting with your players uh, ahead of, of this clutch of very important international fixtures, that is, is going to be an enjoyable experience because it gives you that chance to meet them again face-to-face, to interact face-to-face, and to, for, for them as well to get back into the international setting in the autumn. I mean, at least it's it's more like the norm, despite the fact you don't have a crowd to play in front of. It was almost like kids at Christmas morning, where the coaches this week... Uh, we were setting our cones out for the first time in seven months, so we were getting our presentations polished to speak to the players. Um, and we said to the players, I think we're a lot more excited than you. Um, so just to be able to to talk about rugby, and, and to be honest, the first day we didn't really talk about rugby. We talked about um, connecting as a group and obviously talking about what protocols and how things are, are different with coronavirus uh, around. But it was just brilliant to get back and to to working with the group, um, we've had two days of reasonably hard training, um, so to see the players bring that energy. And that hasn't changed too much. Um, the training around being in um, an Orium where we're based and having a, and a good session hasn't changed that much, but the big change will be playing at BT Murrayfield without a crowd and singing anthems without a crowd and not getting that reaction that we've had over the last two or three years when we've had sellouts to 
to the the effort the players put in and, and especially in after scoring tries. So it's it's a challenge. We're going to have to create our own energy, but at least the players have had experience of that now for a few months. New for us is international coaches, so we'll be leaning on the players for advice and learnings for what has worked well for them. So obviously you're talking there about having to create their own energy and, and, and players have to obviously set their own targets and their own goals. Is one of the targets as a coach you set or players individually is, is even looking towards the Lions because you know, that could be a completely um, new experience for everybody in terms of a Lions tour being potentially behind closed doors. What's your overall thoughts on the Lions and, and also as a coach looking towards your players? Do you dangle that as a carrot to, to get the energy levels up or is it something that you, you don't want to really put in the players' minds? You know, we, we talked about it this week. Um, we, we use the word opportunity a lot to describe the future. So the opportunity to, to play for your country obviously is a huge one. Opportunity to have some great experiences with a, with a new group of, of friends. The opportunity we have for, for two tournaments. We're still going to finish off um, the 2026 Nations and then we go into a brand new tournament, the Autumn Nations Cup. So that's a great opportunity. And we're aware, and we've talked about, it, there's an opportunity for, for individuals to go on a, an alliance tour at the end of the year, end of the season, which is massive. It's, it's a, a unique uh, part of our game and a huge privilege that the players are, are motivated in all four countries to, to do their best to, to put their hands up for selection. Looking ahead to 2021 and the, the timing of the Six Nations, I'm, I'm sure you'd be in the camp of you'd prefer a delayed Six Nations tournament to allow at least a proportion of the ground to be filled with spectators. Can you see it going ahead with or some matches going ahead behind closed doors or will it be a, a, a blanket, a sort of tournament-wide effort to ensure that every match is played allowing spectators in and only when that's the case will they allow the tournament to run? You're, you're probably asking the wrong person. <laughs> this goes <laughs> on a higher level. Yeah. Well, I, I've heard there's discussions going on, but um, they don't involve the coaches in these, uh, thankfully. Look, I'm a, I'm a lover of sport and... To see crowds back, um, something we all, we all want to see. To see the sport back, first of all, is important. So for a while there in the summer, there was no sport. Um, and whether it's the French Open tennis, the golf that's been on, the rugby games, um, and obviously football, that's been great to, to have seen that back on, the, on our screens. To be able to see it live is the next step. And um, I know we'd give a big lift to our country, especially if, if they'd been able to be at the Scotland football game uh, at Hamden there this week, the three games that were played, to go to BT Murrayfield and, and watch our team in the Six Nations. So let's cross our fingers that it'll happen. And if it means if it's delayed, then as long as uh, it's delayed for the reason that we're getting our crowds back, um, that'll be a big boost to the sport. I think the SFA might stop actually letting crowds in because they, they seem on a bit of a streak at the moment. They seem to be doing better without the Tartan Army in the, in the stadium. And you know you know that's unusual because uh, I remember when I think it was German football started first and um, I think the NRL in, in Australia, it was really helping the away team having no crowds. Um, but Scotland, um, we don't always do it the, nah. the normal also against the curve. it's the same in the Premier League as well the, the scores are the scores are strange so it must you know even any level of sport if it's kids playing in front of their parents down at the minis or if it's you know folk in an amateur game this, the crowd do give you a buzz it obviously has an impact but hopefully the professionalism of the players allows them to as you say create their own energy and raise their bar so that they can still make home advantage count but 
it's it's a difficult one, and especially going down to Wales, that would be something that you'd be wanting to try and take advantage of for your final game in the Six Nations. Yes, look, it's, it's going to be different for both teams. Um, for, for an away team going to Wales, you go to the the Principality and the seventy five thousand people there. It's it's almost like playing in an indoor stadium, even with the roof open. There is such a a good and loud atmosphere um, and it's difficult because most people are, are singing songs and cheering for the Welsh team that's going to change we're not even going to be in the same stadium we're yeah. going to be a um, parky scarlets with no no crowd so it'll be different for us um, but it's also different for the Wales team a lot of their players will be used to playing that pitch but it's not for entire players too we, we play in that pitch regularly so you're right, it's a, it's an opportunity. It would have been a great opportunity playing in a packed-out principality too, but this, this is a different opportunity and we're, we're going to make the most of it. And the objectives will remain the same for that game and the games going forward? Yeah, they would, the, the, the Wales game is, is the biggest game out of all the, the six we play. Uh, we know how important the Six Nations is. Uh, the fact that we were building some good momentum seven months ago gives us even more motivation to finish off the tournament with a similar, if not improved, level of performance. And the Autumn Nations Cup, while, while they're really important games and a, a tournament we want to do really well in, we might have to change our team during that period. Not just might have, we, we will have to because it's four test matches in a row. Whereas we'll be doing all we can to put our, our strongest team out against Wales and play our best level. And, and that's what we'll need to beat this Welsh team. Well, Gregor, listen, thank you very much indeed for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, just to reiterate the very fact that you are the, the first guest uh, on our new podcast. Uh, it's been a delight to, to be able to, to speak to you and get your own thoughts on what has been a, a very traumatic and harrowing year for a lot of people. But the very fact, as you say, that sport has returned has, has been a, a big help and a, a big consolation for a lot of people as well to, to see them through these difficult times. Yes, I agree with that. And I know there's, an, there's anticipation and excitement around um, our group but also our supporters that will be playing soon it's been it's been a long while and we also know that we can give people a lift by how we play and even though there's no supporters there there'll be there'll be lots watching on the on television uh, and listening to the, the wonderful radio commentaries I hear there are around the place so thanks I feel honored I'm very lucky to be your first guest so uh, thank you for having me on it might be the last, depends how well it goes. You might be the first and last. <laughs> Good man. All the best, Gregor. Thanks very much. And uh, yeah, best of luck with uh, the matches coming up. And hopefully both the virus and, and injuries won't take their toll and it'll, it'll give you a good chance to examine the players and where they are at the moment. Fingers crossed. Thank you, yeah. guys. The Tackling Scottish Rugby Podcast. Gregor Townsend talking to us just a couple of days before Scotland's victory over Georgia. And eight tries to the good, just conceding the, the solitary try early in the second half. Overall, a very sound display, as, as you mentioned a little bit earlier on, Dale. But looking ahead, what do you make of this final Six Nations matchup between Scotland and Wales? When you consider how Wales performed against France and the form that some of the, the Scotland players are showing going into this game. It's going to be played, obviously, in an empty stadium and Wales would always feed off the emotion and the energy and the music of the, the, their own fans in the ground. It's going to be a, a very, very peculiar 80 minutes for both sets of players. It is going to be strange, but I totally... I, I, when I was listening to Gregor Townsend and his answers, I think the, he was using the, the term opportunity and... I've been listening to Stuart Hogg and he's been using the term opportunity 
And I think this is a big opportunity for Scotland to put down a marker and get a bit of a confidence boost in their game against a big nation away from home. No matter what the circumstances, away from home and pick up a win. It's going to be interesting to see what the squad selection is against a Wales team who weren't really on form against France. But it's an opportunity to, to go down there, pick up a win, finish high in the table and build for the next campaign, the next Six Nations campaign anyway. And use the Nations Cup as a platform to try and do that. And I think we've got to be looking at a nation to try and win the Six Nations pretty soon. Certainly within the next kind of four years before the next World Cup, I would be hoping that Scotland would be there or thereabouts because we always seem to finish fourth or fifth or sometimes we're in the chance for third. I think to win the Six Nations, you have to have a, a very mean, strong defence. And one thing I've noticed, certainly post-World Cup, is... I think Gregor Townsend's possibly taking a long, hard look at the tactics adopted at the World Cup, maybe listening in a different way to the backroom staff and the coaching staff that he that he has, that he works with, and they've a very mean defence at the moment. When you look at the performances over in Dublin, they, they were within a score, converted try of, of winning that game. They match against England in wretched conditions, again defensively, were pretty solid there. To then go to Italy with a, a clean sheet coming away with, without conceding any points at all and, and the win over France coupled again with a disciplined performance against Georgia. You have to say that all in all that the defensive side of the game is good. Maybe that was a, a reason pairing Lang and, and Harris at 12 and 13 was defensively that they're two strong centres. They may need a little bit more flair in there. It was very interesting seeing Finn Russell coming on, a smiling Finn Russell coming back into the, the international fold, really enjoying the experience it seemed playing as an inside centre and creating opportunities and setting up the, the second Arce Graham try. So there, there are options, and, and that centre pairing is always going to be one of the, the real sort of talking points. The one thing that's interesting, Dale, as well, is you look defensively at how strong that Scotland have been since the, the start of the year and the first Six Nations performance over in Ireland. And they've played five matches. They've been defensively very, very solid indeed. That obviously continued through their, their performance against Georgia. They'll want to take that into the match against Wales. They want to finish on the high. They're going for four consecutive wins now. And you've got van der Merver coming in, scoring a try in his debut. You've got Ollie Kebble on the bench. The residency ruling is going to be very important for Scotland to allow players to come into the national team and get them capped early and that's them committed to to playing for Scotland so I think that's a, that's an important factor as well so th there are positives providing they're clinical in attack defensively at the moment they, they seem to have turned the corner I, t I totally agree my first real memory of, of Scotland playing rugby when the, the Five Nations won in 1999 I went to a few of the games there was a good atmosphere and then after that it sort of tailed off for Scotland the crowds were poor and I think one thing that Scotland have done now is made the home games anyway when there's a crowd there they've made it a, an event and it's it's really positive to go there it's good fun it's well organised but on top of that especially when Vern Cotter came in they've made us a team that we believe can win they've made us competitive against big nations we almost beat New Zealand and I know it's one of those that we almost beat New Zealand but it's we've, we've never done it before so there was progress there and I think that between Cotter and Townsend, there was almost a dip and a little bit of change. Vern Cotter just came in, ripped up the copybook and went, this is how we're doing it. We started playing, we started taking teams by surprise. Gregor Townsend increased the pace, but defensively we were really lax. And I don't know if that was down to energy levels or structure or the way that we're playing, but they certainly have put a focus on defence. 
we are scoring tries for a change. Well, I say for a change now, it's something that we've been doing for a few years, but there was a period where if it wasn't Dan Parks, it was Duncan Hodge. If it wasn't Duncan Hodge, it was Chris Patterson. And that's who scored our points. And now we're looking at Darcy Graham, Van der Merve, we're looking at Jones when he's in, we're looking at Hogg, Finn Russell, even the forwards. There's Hooker's got three tries at the weekend and a flanker got a try. It's really positive we can score tries and if we can sort the defence out then we can win Six Nations and I think that you're totally right in saying that the best teams win Six Nations on their defence and look how good Ireland's has been, look how good England's is when they're on form. That's probably why France are hot and cold because they're a bit erratic, that's without even mentioning Wales. Wales have been one of the form teams in the last two decades in the Six Nations and we've got to go down there and pick up a win away from home and to try and just cement our place in the, the, the top half of the, the Six Nations table. and It's going to be interesting, but I, I'm confident that we can go down to Wales and, and win. I think we can this time. We shall see what happens then at Parker Scarlet's on Saturday afternoon. Just time to tell you about a few other matches coming up in the next few days. Scotland's women are down in Wales on Sunday at 4.15. They take on the bottom placed side in the Women's Six Nations Championship. Of course, Scotland's women on the back of that thrilling draw with France at Scotstoun last weekend. And Edinburgh and Glasgow are both back in action. It's a Sunday fixture for Edinburgh. They take on Scarlets, while on Monday evening, Glasgow are at home to Leinster. Well, Dale, it's been good chatting to you again. Yeah, definitely. It's been good catching up. It's been nice to get some rugby chat again and get into the swing of things. And hopefully it's been a good start to what will be a few editions of this podcast. And we wish all the, the sides in action in the coming days all the best. And thanks also to Gregor Townsend, our very first guest on this new podcast. Thanks very much for listening. Look out for future editions of the Tackling Scottish Rugby podcast. It will be a weekly podcast and you'll be able to pick it up at your chosen podcast provider. Oh, he's been tackled just short of the line. The Tackling Scottish Rugby podcast with Stuart McFarlane and Dale Clancy. That's extraordinary.